Yes, people, it is Monday, and we've got a special echo chamber for you, which felt very needed to come into this one. Yes, people, a little automatic because we have got Seth Breedlove in the house to talk about his new documentary <laughs> on the trail of Bigfoot, The Journey. Yes, so, um, hey, very interesting doc. So, um, yeah, we're gonna drop the review and then we're gonna go into our conversation with Seth so people sit back hope you enjoy it's a good one Okay, horror fans, mark Thursday the 12th of August in your calendars. That is right, because Shudder, AMC Network's premium streamer for horror, thriller, and the supernatural, have announced that the new event series Slasher, Flesh and Blood, starring horror legend David Cronenberg... Bum, bum, bum. Will exclusively stream on the service in the US, Australia and New Zealand Beginning Thursday, August the 12th With two episodes followed by new episodes streaming each week The series follows a wealthy, dysfunctional family That gathers for a reunion on a secluded island only to learn they'll be pitted against one another in a cruel game of life and death. Ooh. All while being stalked by a mysterious masked killer. Nothing is what it seems, and no one is safe as detention and body count ratchets up. The eight-episode event series stars Cronenberg alongside cast members from previous installments of the slasher franchise in brand new roles, including Paula Brancaddy, Jefferson Brown, Patrice Goodman, Sabrina Gregevich, and Christopher Jackot. Right, so, um, yeah... Adding to the cast will also be Rachel Crawford, Jenna Guzan, Sydney Meyer, and Alex Ogerola. So, um, there you have it, people. There you have it. You know, Slasher, Flesh and Blood is like Knives Out done by John Carpenter, and takes the slasher franchise to a new level with a gripping and scary story about family secrets, intrigue, murder, and legacy. Um, 
we're incredibly lucky to have David Cronenberg, an icon of the genre, giving a standout performance as the fearsome, intimidating patriarch of the Galloway family, who sets the tone for the shocking twists, crazy mysteries, and total mayhem that's to come. Shudder members won't want to miss a single episode of this incredible event series, and that is from Shudder General Manager Craig Engler. I mean, yeah, he won't steer you wrong. No, but seriously, everything on Shudder is great. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything I haven't enjoyed yet. So, yeah, I think this will be worth watching. So, people. The 12th of August, mark it down. Oh, people, some more festival information for you. The Etheria Film Night have announced that they will be streaming, right, their 2021 official short films showcase lineup exclusively on Shudder starting from Friday the 25th of June all the way through to the 25th of July. This year's festival, the world's most respected annual showcase of horror, science fiction, fantasy, action and thriller films directed by women will feature nine short films and honour the Walking Dead showrunner and executive producer Angela Kang with the 2021 Etheria Inspiration Award given annually to a person in the entertainment industry who has inspired women to pursue careers working in genre film and television. Producer Gail Ann Hard will present the award to Kang with the ceremony included as part of the official Aferia 2021 content streaming on Shudder. The 2021 lineup has come has some of the funniest things we've ever programmed alongside some of the darkest and most disturbing things we've ever programmed. And that is from Etheria Director of Programming, Heidi Honeycott. Mm-hmm. Right, so, um, yeah, she also says, And we're so happy to be screening on Shudder for the second year in a row. Dum-dum-dum. Right, so, um, yeah, people. I mean, do you really want to miss all of this? You know, Gail and Heard says the Ethereum Film Festival is the prominent forum showcasing the many talented women working in the genre field. As The Walking Dead's first female showrunner, Angela Kang has proven herself to be a visionary in the horror sci-fi medium, and she is also one of the most talented people working in television today. <laughs> yeah, you know, and Kang says, as a lifelong fan of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action and thrillers, I am truly humbled to be in the company of the incredible women of Etheria. Um, 
and who have been honoured over the years with their inspiration award, not least the incomparable Gail Ann Hurd, I am on a trail she blazed and loved that Etheria is showcasing new genre films created by women who want to travel the same exhilarating path. So, um, yeah, there you have it, people. It is, uh, it is going to be coming at you, which uh, should be fun. Right, some of those films that will be screening, okay, uh, we've got The Fourth Wall. This is directed by Kelsey Bowling. Um, we've got Narrow, directed by Anna Chazelle. Have You Will Never Be Back from Monica Matteo. Booster Strapped from Katy Aaron. Uh, Misfits from Kayani Ray Walker. The Grey from Myra Aquino. Polar Votron 500 from Sylvia Concia. Eye Exam from Aslim Clark. And Who Goes There from Astrid for Vladson. <laughs> you know, so, um, hey, looks like it is going to be a fun uh, festival people So go check out the Ethereal website And remember it will start Friday the 25th Of June running All the way to the 25th Of July Exclusively on Shudder Yo Something that people missed In 2020 Were those pop up Cinema screens But people People Do not worry 2021 It's a new year And the screens are Back Pop up screens Are delighted to announce Their return to London With an enormous season Of outdoor cinema Packed with feel good movies Guilty pleasures And cult classics That make your film all warm and fuzzy inside Pop-up screens invite you and your family To indulge in an evening that you won't forget With your loved ones It's relaxed atmosphere and friendly vibe Praised by critics across the country Will have you coming back year after year This year pop-up screens will span across Eight London parks That's right people Eight and open spaces over three months Launching on Oh shit My birthday The 9th of July At Coram's Fields With the fan favourite The Craft Pop-up screens offers films for fans Of all genres Including smash hit musical dramas Such as The Greatest Showman A Star Is Born Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man. For audiences wanting nostalgia, fans will be able to revisit fan favourites such as Back to the Future, The Goonies, and Dirty Dancing, um, plus a whole lot more. 
you know, you can uh, join them for a movie or two, and you'll find a great environment along with a bar and some of London's best street food traders. So, the uh, the films that you can enjoy, people. Well, on as I said, starting on the 9th of July at Crom's Fields is the Craft, the tenth. Um, is the greatest showman the 11th bill and ted face the music then over to bishop's park in fulham on the 16th with 10 things i hate about you 17th dirty dancing and the 18th the goonies then it's north greenwich from the 23rd of july for 500 days of summer Greece on the 24th and Back to the Future on the 25th and July ends at Hillfields in Broccoli so on the 30th July is the Goonies and the 31st Dirty Dancing Uh, staying on Brockfield um, on the 1st of August it's the Greatest Showman then back to Crom Corman's Fields on the 6th of August. Three films on the 6th with you've got Jojo Rabbit, Pretty Woman, and Ghostbusters. Then Hammersmith, you're not forgotten because on the 13th at Ravens Court Park, you've got Jaws. On the 14th, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. And then the 15th, it's The Greatest Showman. The Guild Hall in the City of London people. On the 16th, um, you've got um, The Greatest Showman. To 17th, you've got Moonlight. On the 18th, you've got Philadelphia. The 19th, it's The Beach. The 20th, it's Dreamgirls. And the 21st of August is Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Then, Hiver Green, people. From the 27th of August at Manor House Gardens, we got Bohemian Rhapsody. On the 28th, it is The Greatest Showman. And then on the 29th of August, it is A Star is Born. But that's not all. So, back to Bishop's Park in Fulham. For the 3rd of September Because it's Rocket Man. The 4th it's A Star Is Born Then the 5th It's The Greatest Showman So then On the 10th of September It is Back to Hammersmith So Raven's Court Park It's Dirty Dancing On the 11th it is at Jurassic Park And the 12th it is Rocket Man And it all ends at the Oval In Kennington Park Right, so 17th of September It's The Greatest Showman The 18th, it's Notting Hill And then the 19th of September It all closes with A Star Is Born So you can book tickets And find out more at popupscreens.co.uk Adult tickets are £14, and those under 12s, it is £9. But remember, people, there will still be COVID policies in place, 
But yes, for more information, people, go down and check out popupscreens.co.uk. I think it's fair to say that we kind of live in the unknown still, especially when you consider last year we had official, official government, you know, documents about alien sightings. You know, which was crazy. You know, what I mean, part of a bill that had nothing to do with that was that they had to release this paperwork, and they did, right, they did, we then were seeing, like, strange objects appearing all over the place, things were getting crazy, in a year that was already crazy, and, listen, you have to think about, you know, we're already still having new discoveries, like, they're finding new information about dinosaurs, about animals that lived thousands, millions of years ago, even about stuff that has been living in, you know, rainforests that have just been discovered, new species of, you know, frogs and flies and snakes and spiders, they're always getting found, so to kind of think we know what's out there, I think you'd have to be a little bit, you know what I mean, a little bit up yourself to kind of categorically go, I know everything, right, so that's what makes watching something like On the Trail of Bigfoot, the journey, interesting, you know what I mean, because it's one of those things that you could, right, you could just be like, nah, nah, don't believe in Bigfoot, but when you consider all of that stuff, I just said, you have to have a little bit of you that's like, well, you know what I mean, who knows, who, when there are vast, vast areas of forest that haven't been explored, how the fuck do we know what's lurking inside? I mean, hey, no offence, Bigfoot, when I say lurking. I mean, I just, we haven't found you yet, alright? Don't, don't come hunting me down. Because who knows, Bigfoot might listen to podcasts. But anyway, so this is a new documentary, right? A new documentary from Seth Breedlove and those Small Town Monsters crew, right? So, um... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a continuation of some of the stuff that they have done in the past, you know, because they've already had a uh, a, a little kind of duck on this subject, right? They did, um, in 2019, they had a, a, a Bigfoot documentary. And then they've had stuff like the Bray Road Beast. You know what I mean? The the Missouri Monster. The Mothman Legacy. The Mark of the Bell Witch. So they're deep in the whole kind of mindset of there are things out there that we don't know. So it was kind of like, all right, let me... 
you know, I've heard plenty of different talks on different things about people finding, seeing shit. So, yeah, I, I was intrigued to see what Seth and his peoples could kind of turn up. Right? So, um, yeah, I mean, this documentary, right? We follow um, Breedlove and his hand-picked crew of adventurers and investigators as they head into the Adirondacks of upstate New York for an intensive adventure-filled week searching for Sasquatch. I mean, they went for five days. Is five days a week? I kind of always assume a week is seven. What would you call? I don't know. But they went, they, you know, they went for five days, right? The team documented the trip, which included multiple days and nights in the forests around upstate New York and western Massachusetts. Their trip was spent with Bigfoot researchers like Steve Cole, Paul Bartholomew. Um, also... You know, they, they there was a there was a good few of them, man. So um, they also had Emily Emily Fleur, John Wilk, um, Dave McCulloch, Susan Hollenbuck, Dale Hollenbuck, Bruce Hollenbuck, David Floyd. You know, they were all um, they were all there. They were all there investigating. So, um, yeah. There's a, a, a lot of different people. A lot of different people. Um, so, yes. They're, they're on this, uh, you know, quest. Right? Um, you know, which led on a search for information. Right, the, the, it's all directed by Seth Breedlove, um, who uh, utilizes animation il- and illustration, as well as these interviews to try and show us a little something, right? To try and kind of um, give us a hint of of this thing that has. Kind of been in a lot of people's lives for a while, right? There's a lot of people that breathe and sleep this thing, so you're just like, hmm, okay, what what is it, right? What the hell is it? So, as I said, look, they they spent five days in this in this thing, right? Which meant so. Day one, they went to Lake George and Buck Mountain. Right. Day two, they were in Hadley. Day three, they went to Whitehall. Um, day four, they were in Kinderhook. And day five, they went to the um, uh, I think it's like the Upper Hills. The Upper Hills. I think that's what they were calling it. Right. So they they definitely. Went around the place, right? Which is, and it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, now, it was kind of, I think it seemed to be being spurred from 
you know, the world getting shut down last year. Right? Which does seem like that is a good opportunity to go. And also, it's not like these you know, vast areas you're going to be mingling with a load of different people. So it, it seems a safe, a safe thing to do, you know. But yes, there's there's seeing all these things, and I think what we have there's there's some interesting points that got made, right? Like they they talk about migration patterns, which I think that's a fair thing, right? That seems like a fair thing to kind of think about, you know. They I think they were they were talking about how. These sightings, when you look on a map, you know, the area in which all of these things have been, you know, sighted. So it goes from Canada all the way to, you know, New York and Massachusetts, you know, all of these things. And also that a lot of times August, September and October are like... A period when most kind of sightings and oddness happen. Which, I mean, isn't all very interesting, right? When you think about it, okay, alright. So, also I thought, which was, because a lot of times, right, when when you hear about this stuff, it's guys, right? It's usually guys, um, so the fact that they had Emily Fleur talking, you know, I thought, okay, that's interesting, right? Because I think we're getting a different kind of viewpoint, different kind of viewpoint from someone who I guess you wouldn't always hear from when, you know, these things are talked about. Right? The, the, I think the craziest thing was the, the links to President Theodore Roosevelt, which I'd never heard before. And then also, there was the governor of Vermont, you know, Jonas Galosha, right, in 1770, who thought that if he could find Bigfoot, right, it would win him... The uh, the race for the presidency, which he didn't, and it didn't. <laughs> but I mean, how crazy is that, right? Like, and these are things never heard before, never have heard in all the stories I've heard about this thing. And it, you know, to be honest, I have to be I have to be clear. I haven't necessarily gone out looking, but whenever I've heard something. Never heard that. Never heard that. You know? And the first recorded sighting, 1760. 1760. So, and it's a while back. Although, right, this stuff kind of is embedded in, like, a lot of indigenous people's histories. Right? It, it, it's all there. So... When you think about all the history of everything, right, it, it was kind of like, okay, so how are they going about this? And they meet up with a lot of different people, you know, to try and help. Like on the first day when they went to Lake George, they met up with Steve Coles. And, 
you know, they, they tried a lot of things, they seemed to, it was just like, okay, they went hard on that first day, right, they used something called sound blasting, which I don't know, right, I, I, I don't know how, you know, useful that thing is gonna be, you know, because I think if you went out into the woods and you shouted out fox, I don't know if a fox is gonna come, Right, <laughs> I don't know if a fox is gonna come. So I, I, I don't know. Right, if you go into these forests and places, making all this noise, if a big fox is gonna be like, oh, I think some folks want to see me. Let me come and talk to them. Right, so yeah, there, there is that, but. I think one of the big things that seemed to come from all of this was they you know the 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 camaraderie right there there is this kind of thing that connects all of these people there is this energy there is this kinship which is interesting and I I I think with things like this you do wonder right you do wonder if some of it is the the want and the need, you know, like people really want to have this experience. So are they seeing something because of that? Right? Is is that a part of it? And I did respect the fact that you know Breedlove and his peoples, you know, they were kind of they weren't trying to force it down your throat. Right, it it did seem pretty open, you know. On one, I think it was day four. They heard a knocking sound in the forest when they were out with um some of the peoples. Right, um, it it was like I think they were out with um I think it was when they were with Halbrook. No, it was Jonathan Wiggs. Jonathan Wilkes, actually. It was when they were out with him and his crew. I think what were they called the Sasquats. The sc- <laughs> oh dear, dear. Um, yeah, they, they, there was a knocking sound, and it wasn't like, oh my god, that's definitely it, right? There, there was just like, okay, it, you know, who knows? It, it is weird, but weird things happen, you know. So I, I did think, all right. They're not trying to um, force this idea on people. I, I did think one thing was interesting. <laughs> Wilkes was saying, oh, yeah, and, you know, we've never really seen it, but there's always odd things that happen. You know, things get thrown. Um, you hear different noises and stuff like that. So it's always interesting. But listen, once we hear something, we're very respectful. We'll leave it space because obviously, you know, it doesn't want us to be around. So, hey, we're not trying to impose or anything like that. But, right, <laughs> he says it, but then they go back. They go back the next day or, you know, a week later or something, right? So it's like, okay, but how respectful are you trying to be? Because it's not like, Oh, we're never going back here again. <laughs> so it is amusing. It is amusing how um 
a lot of people are going about it. And, you know, people do throw up evidence, right? They, they talk to a guy um, who has, you know, he, he's seen something, right? He was on day three in Whitehall, saw something. And that was last year, 2020. So there's stuff like that that you're like, hmm, okay, all right, that's kind of interesting, no? So I think this this documentary, it gives us a lot of different looks, a lot of different ideas. And no, there's not a definitive thing at the end. There's not a, a big... Oh, and we found a tooth, or hey, we have DNA samples, and there's not that. There's not a big reveal or anything. But as I said, what it does, it it does give us this this look from a different point of views, right? It does give us that, and we hear a few different accounts and stuff like that, which. You know, might be true, might not, but it's interesting. It's definitely intriguing. And hey, I'm happy to be intrigued. You know, like it's about an hour and a half, 90 minutes. So it's not a crazy amount of time. You know, I think it's well put together. You know, it, it, the way we feel, so we're following them, we're seeing the group. I think it's what, um, it was Seth along with his brother, um, his friend Adam Duggan, uh, Aleskander Petakov, Mark Matsky and his brother Andy Matsky, Michael Ann. Yeah, I think it was it was all of them, right? And they and they've gone. Looking, so we see them, see them at night with the night vision and all of that. You know, they take a helicopter ride. They're exploring different things. So, you know, I, I, it, it's interesting. It's, it's put together well. We're following these different conversations. You know, they, they're trying to give us different looks, different ideas from a, a different array of people, different historians. Research, I mean, historians, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, different people, right? Different people. It's, there's what they call them, uh, cryptozootologists. You know, so there's a, a, a different bunch of them, which is very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you, I feel if you're intrigued by this subject, then, hey, th- this is going to be something that you probably want to see, you know, it, it, it's something that will, I think, it, it, it opens up the mind, right, it, it, you know what I mean, it opens up the mind, because the way they're talking about it and everything like that, you do have to think, yeah, there are these possibilities. So although we don't get hard facts, there is this open-mindedness that is nice. It is refreshing, right? So, yeah, if you're a fan, right, if you're curious, then I would say, 
people, I would say, on the trail of Bigfoot the journey. It's worth checking out, and you can do that, because it's going to hit all your favourite VODs from the 8th, right? Tuesday the 8th of June, it's out. It's out for you all to digest and consume, so go do that. Go enjoy it, because I think you will, right? I think you will enjoy it. So, yeah, Tuesday, the 8th of June, people, on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey. Go follow Seth Breedlove and his peoples, and um, see if it changes your mind on uh, Bigfoot. Okay, people, so you've heard the review. Now let's listen from the man himself, Seth Breedlove, people. Let's go. Boom. Okay, so I am here with Seth Breedlove, the director of... On the trail of Bigfoot, the journey. So, Seth, um, like, good damn, you're a crazy ass fool. Like, I, the idea of this just—it's kind of crazy. Like, what made you? Well, I mean, this is your second shot. Like, what made you? Um, do this right the follow-up to the 2019 uh bigfoot documentary you put out uh well yeah i mean it was a it was a crazy kind of year so i wanted to get out in the woods with some friends and uh bigfoot kind of seemed like the the ultimate impetus to go do that right so <laughs> might as well head out with your buddies and and look for something that everyone else says doesn't exist uh which i think is what most bigfoot you know investigators are are doing is is they're they're ultimately going out in the woods to experience something that everyone else thinks is uh absolutely laughable and and that's always been really interesting to me is is what drives people into the woods to do this sort of thing and uh so that was that was kind of the the drive for us to make this movie was as much about um why people do this as it was about you know, actually trying to find something for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So what sort of training did you, there's like with all of that hiking, I'm like, was there a, a regime that you put in place before you started? Or was this more of a, you know what, let's go do this. And you went and did it spur of the moment kind of thing. Well, I th yeah, I mean, most of the crew is fairly fit. I'm definitely the most out of shape in, in our in our group. Um, and so when we made the movie, I mean, no, there was no there was no training regimen in place. There was no uh, real preparation. It was like, let's go out to the woods and hike. Um, but most of us, I mean, I've been doing this now for six years, making movies for six years. And a lot of that does involve hiking and spending time in the woods so um you know there there wasn't anything too crazy as far as what we were actually doing the the hardest trek we took while we were out there was climbing to the top of that Hadley, Hadley mountain which was about a 
you know, a three hour hike one way. Um, but it wasn't, I don't think at any point we were in danger of, uh, you know, like a starvation or, or dehydration. The, the scariest things that happened while we were on the trip mostly revolved around uh, animals. So like I almost stepped on a, a rattlesnake when I was on top of Hadley Mountain. Um, and then, you know, you, there's black bear all over the Adirondacks as well. So you, you, ha you have that to look out for while you're out in the woods. But um, as far as the, the training and that sort of thing, we were, we were good to go. I mean, we survived it anyway. We, I could say that we, th there was one other incident, the other, the, the scariest sort of incident, incident that happened was one of the guys on my crew ate uncooked chicken at a, at a restaurant one night and threw up for, for most of the night. Oh um, my God. So other than that, we were good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's, that's the story, right? So, you know, you'd be like, oh, we had to go to the hospital and people thinking, oh shit, you met Bigfoot. You'd be like, no, just uncooked chicken. And that, yeah. that was the thing that took us down. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, actually encountering Bigfoot is usually pr pretty low on, on the list of things that might happen to you on one of these trips, because the odds of encountering a Bigfoot in the minimal amount of time you've got to shoot a movie like this uh, are slim to none when you consider the fact that, you know, a lot of the people we've interviewed have spent years of their lives out in the woods and have never found anything or encountered anything. So I don't think any of us are fooling ourselves into thinking that we're gonna go out there and just find Bigfoot immediately. So instead you're, you, you gotta watch out for things like, uh, did I bring my bear or my snake, my snake boots? Did I bring our bear spray and make sure we don't eat uncooked chicken? <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think one of the big things I was kind of thinking about, especially at the beginning, and you just walk into that friggin' tunnel cutting, well, you, you, not, maybe not cut, but in the side of the friggin' mountain. And I'm just like, they're not gonna check first like because yeah anything could have been in that in that friggin tunnel yeah well again like some of this goes to the fact that we've we've been all over the country at this point um making movies so i think our fear when it comes to that kind of thing has kind of gone down i mean we were just in a cave two weekends ago with black widow spiders all over the the ceiling about an inch above our head so we've we've on a on a yearly sort of basis we up the ante for what we're surviving on any given shoot but um i mean that cave the one you're talking about that cave's not very big so you can kind of see the back of it when you look in through the through the opening so i, I we were fairly confident we weren't going to crawl in there and find like a bobcat or a mountain lion waiting to rip us to shreds but um you know like part of the part of the idea of the shoot was to go out and to have an adventure so some of that mm. means throw yourself into situations that are are um you know maybe a little questionable yeah yeah i guess i guess it makes sense you know what i mean guess it makes sense but is it a little i was gonna say like disheartening just going into these things with that realization that the chance of meeting bigfoot is pretty slim so then the thing that you're you might want to achieve isn't that 
right? Um, no, no, no. Because I think the whole point of the movie is literally like anything that that will drive you out into nature to spend time in, in the uh, in the wilds is worth worthwhile as long as it, as it isn't like burying a body or something. You know, like I mean, we 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 were we went out with the uh, you know the ultimate goal being let's let's go tell a really interesting story about this part of New York that is is usually overlooked. Um, spend some time in the woods. Uh, enjoy a uh, company of, of friends who in some cases we hadn't been able to see each other in months, you know, due to COVID um, and really, really get out and, and see a part of the, the world that is, is worth spending time in. Um, and so anything that's going to drive us to do that, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with. Um, and so, you know, for, for me, no, uh, we had a great time. We, learned a lot about that part of the country and we heard some very believable witnesses tell their stories and we um we got to spend some time in the woods at night you know hearing uh, babies cry over over a sound blasting machine so we did things that you know are are creating an experience uh creating some memories uh at a time when 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 most of us were unable to leave our houses um, so I think that's, you know, the ultimate goal is to go out there and, and really get to, you know, get to form some experiences with friends. And uh, I think that's why a lot of Bigfooters do it. I mean, that's the question continually comes up throughout the movie. Like, why do you do this? What is the, you know, what is the drive in you to, to continually go out and spend time doing something that, that most people think is absolutely ridiculous? And, you know, for the most, most of these people that we talk to, it's because they, they get to go out with their friends, they spend time in the woods, and uh, sometimes they might have an experience that seems unexplainable. Uh, for the most part, they don't, but nobody that I've talked to who does this regularly uh, has re regrets about that fact either. Yeah, there does seem a, a really tight kinship between all the people involved. Right. It, it, it seems that that journey, that hunt is the thing that's bringing them all together. Well, yeah. And I think that's I think the point of the of the movie ultimately is that 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 is that's the thing that forms a community that that's what that's what uh, some of these guys have formed friendships over. That is how memories are made and that's how they they get to go out and experience the natural world. Um, and I think that, you know, like David Floyd, Dr. David Floyd um, in the movie talks about how that is a very ancient idea. Like the, the, there, there's something very ancient about people going out and trying to experience the unknown um, and either doing it alone or together. But ultimately, that is something that's gone on for as long as, as people have been on this planet. Um, you know, and, and so there, it seems it seems like Bigfoot is a more modern day uh, topic, but it really isn't. It's it, it's there's there's always been something in the woods calling us out to find it. And for some people, it's just uh, an, an eight foot tall, hairy primate uh, hiding in the woods. And for some people, it's something else entirely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Like what do you do you think there is a chance that what people are seeing is 
maybe a like a, a bear right a large bear standing on its hind legs sure yeah um a bear uh it could also be uh a person like i i think i think there are are I would I would say you can explain away most Bigfoot sightings with misidentification of a known animal, mm. um, and that's just the way it is. Like the, that's probably been going on for a couple hundred years. People seeing things in the woods that they, in that fleeting moment, can't describe or can't explain, uh, but but it might be explainable, you know, as as being a bear on its hind legs. Um, that's definitely one of the the big culprits when it comes to what people are actually seeing now. Having said that, I know people who've claimed to have seen Bigfoot, you know, from feet away, like right in front of them, uh, believable witnesses, like even the 76 Whitehall incident that's talked about in the movie, you know, was numerous members of law enforcement that, that claimed to, to see a Bigfoot in that field. There were 11 people uh, off of that road in August of 1976 that claimed to have seen Bigfoot. Um, corroborating 11 corroborating witnesses is, is a pretty solid number of people claiming to see the same thing mm. um, especially when some of them are, are local police so um, you know I can't I don't think every single sighting of a Bigfoot is misidentified animal but I think a large number of them certainly could be yeah yeah I, I you're right I, I definitely I'm open to thinking there's something out there. Like, have you ever listened to, I, th I think there's a podcast called The Thing Is, right? And there's, um, there's a section of it where they look at kind of scary incidents that have happened to like the guests. And um, I think one time they had uh, Matt Stokes and Jesse Leach on. And they were talking about, um, I think it was Stokes who was talking about an incident, a couple, a few incidents he, he'd had, like with wolf children and um, a possible Bigfoot sighting. Mm -hmm. And I think he mentioned that there was something about if you, there's, he's got some a land, I forget what part of the country he's in, it might be Wisconsin. Right. And he said that there's times when he went out to the river with a, and he had a gun with him because it was, you know, he was new to the area, wasn't quite sure and nothing. But when he didn't have a gun, that's when you he kind of thought he'd seen something. Right. There was an incident where um, he had something throw stuff at him. And I thought that was it was interesting because, you know, like, I think on your, the first night, it looked like, I don't know if they were guns, but they, some of the people were holding up things that looked like guns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely, they're armed, but that's not for Bigfoot's sake. That's because we're in territory where there's black bear all over. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the most part, um, you're, anytime I'm with a group that's carrying they're typically carrying because of local wildlife more so than like, let's kill a Bigfoot. Yeah, no, but what, what I mean is, do you think that maybe what Stokes has said is kind might be right? That mm -hmm. it kind of 
knows weapons so won't sure. come near you if yeah you... i would think i would think that if they're intelligent enough um to stay hidden this long that they would have to have some sort of sense or at least you know ability to recognize uh, a weapon and you would assume since since settlers have been since since you know i guess since we were wandering the the wilderness here with guns uh even in the you know 1600s 1700s um that they would have some some warning as to what those are you know mm. some, some sort of ability to recognize what those might be um and and so i would assume that that's that's definitely a possibility when it comes to to bigfoot and avoiding people you know and 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 it's interesting when whenever we go out whenever it's just my crew we don't have guns because we're you know we're usually traveling you can't travel around with guns um but we we it does seem like whenever anything interesting happens it's when we're completely unarmed and, uh, and in some of these, these these places in some of these situations you kind of wish you were armed because like when we were in the olympic peninsula uh, uh, last month um or i guess back in april you know we were unarmed and we were in places with you know rampant mountain lion populations um so you really want to be careful yeah <laughs> when you're out in the woods uh that you do have some sort of weapon but for the most part we don't and that always seems to be when it's just us that seems to be when stuff seems to happen yeah i i do feel that yeah it does make sense because i think i've heard stories where people have i think there's been talk that possibly bigfoot has kind of some mind reading kind of abilities others i think i've heard where people think that he can travel the astral plane which you know when you have the incidents where people say they see the footprints and then he's not there like you do wonder right sure i think we have a tendency when it comes to those cases i think what happens a lot of the time is we are trying to solve one mystery with another mystery so like there's there it's so difficult to explain why why don't we have a body if these things are real and they've been here for as long as we think they've been here if people have been encountering them for as long as they claim to have encountered them we should have a dead body there should be a body somewhere um why hasn't a hunter shot one why don't we have convincing video evidence these are all the questions skeptical rational people ask it's the same question i ask um so when you're asking those kind of questions then you start to ponder some of the more you know the more like paranormal theories as to why we don't have those answers um and so you're you know like in the end you're trying to solve a mystery with another mystery the the fact is if if any of those things are true if it if it mind speaks if it can cloak any of that kind of stuff then we're never going to know if it's real or not mm. oh <laughs> you're, yeah. you're never going to be solved <laughs> at all um but it doesn't you know like those stories are 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 super fascinating to me and i think they added just another facet to the topic that a lot of people find interesting and I mean, going all the way back to Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy doing in search of those those sorts of stories have been talked about. Mm. Yeah, I, I think what we know, I think it's fair to say that something like Bigfoot probably 
did definitely exist in the past. Whether it still does now, who knows? Yeah. But I think, you know, when when we have seen, you know, the dinosaurs and just like there's proof of like giant horses and giant turtles and things of that nature, right? Bears, even bears that were were bigger. I think they've found um, remnants on, on the Serbian crossing. Right, so wait. If you think about, you know, they found a dinosaur under um, some of the thawing ice out there. So right. where you have these frozen areas, it's possible that bones could be there, or even that bones may have been mixed up with dinosaurs. Yeah, sure. And I think, well, there's also the the fact that you know mountain gorillas have been known to bury their own. Uh, so, so it's it's totally possible that if this is some sort of unknown primate, that it could just be burying its own uh, as soon as they die, and we'd never find it. Because how often do we find bear, uh, you know, bear remnants in the woods? It's, it's very rare. Um, mm. I've talked to I've talked to park rangers about bear, um, you know, like how often they've come across dead bodies, and and it's very rare that that sort of thing takes place. For one, for one thing, like where I am in the east. Uh, the soil is extremely acidic, uh, and so when when you're when those bodies drop on the ground, uh, it's immediately eaten by scavenging animals, and then sort of decomposes on its own. And in, in about a month, you would have no idea that that was anything. Oh, damn! Uh, so so it's it's totally possible that they could just sort of disappear in that way as well. But I mean, it is one of those questions we're gonna. All, any anyone with a rational brain is going to ask that question because why uh, I ask the same thing you know like we should you would think over this this amount of time we would have something yeah I mean I don't know I I, I think there are I think there's definitely reasons why we might not especially when you think of the the amount of forested areas like they the un you know, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, some of these areas aren't mapped, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's definitely areas, I mean, in a, even in America that haven't been fully discovered yet. Yeah. So there's probably something that, you know, could be there. They, they're finding new species of spider and frog and, you know what I mean, like squirrel. I think they found a new breed of squirrel just, the other month so you know what I mean if, if if these things can stay hidden for all this time you do kind of think it is possible that this mm -hmm. thing could be could be gone especially when there is a, a version of Bigfoot in in so many of the indigenous people's kind of histories and lore which does yeah. kind of make you think that there was definitely something like this. Yeah, and and even in the Adirondacks, you've got mountains and uh, parts of those forests where people don't go or haven't been because of the fact that, you know, they're either so rural and isolated that you can't get there or because they've never bothered to trail it or put in a trail. And how many people really want to bushwhack their way up to the top of a mountain for no apparent reason? Like there, <laughs> there aren't a lot of people that are going to do that. And I mean, we, you know, we took a helicopter trip over the Adirondacks and I can tell you that uh, 
that there are mountains in that area that have never been traveled by people, even in the Adirondacks. Um, so it's totally, totally possible. And there, there is, you know, it isn't just the fact that you've got the, the Native American uh, history of these things, because that certainly exists, but you've also got the fact that the behavior of what people have been describing for a couple hundred years aligns with what people are still describing encountering in the woods today. You know, not necessarily just the way they look, but the way they behave and the things they do. And some of those, some of those behavior patterns are really obscure and weird. Uh, and it would be, it would be some of those things that would be very difficult to hoax. Um, so I, you know, personally, I'm, I'm extremely uh, optimistic that these things exist. I, I always say I went from like 30% that they existed a couple of years ago to about 90 today. Okay. I just need to see, I, I have to see one for, for me to come all the way around to 100. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I get that. I mean, I do definitely get why some people might be um, skeptical, you know, but I, I, I definitely think that there's a lot we don't know, you know? Yeah, I agree. But um, have you... Like, where else have you searched or have you considered searching? Because I, I remember listening to uh, Justin Rentalk, who has a, a charity, Fight for the Forgotten, with the Pygmies. Um, and I think he was saying that, like, they have kind of a, a, a kind of story of Bigfoot type creatures and that's in the amazon so have you ever thought of maybe venturing out to um those spots to, well, to heck yeah man like i would go to I'd, I'd love to go to like the amazon i'd love to go to uh, china um there, there's a lot of those locations i'd i'd love to go to our problem is at the end of the day we're completely independent autonomous production house right so we run everything ourselves we fund everything ourselves we have a kickstarter at the beginning of each year which helps pay for the production of all the movies we make during that year but we're we're putting out you know four to six movies per year mm. um and so so most of that comes back on us and we we fund it so until we can get our funding up to where we would need it to be we're, we're pretty much still relegated to the United States, but that isn't to say we're going to stay here. I think long-term, we definitely want to get, you know, go international with it. Um, but we've been all over the United States, um, you know, from, from like the, the deepest swamps in Louisiana and Arkansas to, to the mountains in the Olympic uh, National Forest and the Adirondacks, East Coast, West Coast, uh, desert, Southwest Desert. We've been to Area 51. We've kind of been all over you know, the US making movies. Yeah. So what um what keeps you going, man? Uh well I'm a storyteller. So so before I did this, I did I wrote for for newspapers. Um and so I, I love filmmaking and I love storytelling. And most of my crew are friends of mine that I've been friends with since childhood. So this is something we do together that you know, like we, 
it taxes us creatively. It gives us a creative outlet. We have a lot of fun as a group putting together these stories. This Thursday, we're going to have a big crew meeting here at the office, and we'll we'll come up with ways we're going to shoot the recreations for our, our Ruguru movie that's coming out later this year. So, like, we're always working on something together as a team, um, and most of us grew up together. So we 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 like filmmaking, and we we have a an interest in the paranormal. So this combines two of our our passions, I guess. Um, and then also just the fact that I like to provide for my family uh, by making movies and selling them. So, which, I mean, that's the, the cold-blooded reality of filmmaking is you, you have to make a living at it to keep doing it. So that is, that's also part of it. Well, I, I, I think it makes sense. And, you know, I, I think if everyone was completely honest that they, yeah, that that's a part of why they do it as well, you know? Unless you are just so comfortable money-wise, you don't even have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, we're not there. <laughs> oh man, it, it, it's very, I, one thing I thought was very interesting was, and I liked, was that the fact that you weren't trying to, you know, force people into thinking anything or like even when there was the the noise in the woods you weren't like oh that's definitely it that's definitely you you were kind of you still keep yourself open to the different possibilities of what these things could be well i think i think most people if they're being honest have a, at least a vague interest in the unexplained so whether it's ghosts or Bigfoot or UFOs, whatever, I think most of us have some sort of interest in these topics. I think where television and a lot of documentaries go wrong is they assume that an audience wants to be convinced that mm. this stuff's real. And I don't think an audience wants to be convinced. I, I think an audience, an average audience, a, a general audience wants you to present them with the information and let them make up their own mind. And when you're attempting to sway your audience one way or the other, I think they tune out almost automatically. And I think that's why, you know, the same 1 million people watch every paranormal TV show. It's because that audience of 1 million that's the that's the audience that's already in. They're going to be in whether you, you convince them or not. Yeah. Um, but I think the the actual audience of people out there, the the number of people that are out there that would be interested in these types of topics is far larger than a million people. And I mean, we, we've already shown that considering the fact that the audience for most of our movies is a few, you know, five six million, and then it grows from there. Um, there there there's a lot of people that love this stuff or have a vague interest in it who just want to hear the stories, who maybe don't believe it at all, but they just want to hear the stories. And when you're spending the entire film trying to hit them over the head with your belief hammer, uh, they tend to just tune out. Well, yeah, I, I think that point was very clear last year when people just got sick of the news, you know, because I think we found that a lot of stations are, are trying to tell you what you should be thinking rather than just being like, well, these are the sides of the stories you decide on what you think, right? Sure. And, and I think that's that's all what it comes with storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. You're not trying to force your opinion. You're just kind of, yeah, you're, you're, you're just breadcrumbing people. This is the information. Like, what direction do you want to go? It's up to you. 
And that's what I really, I liked about your piece, that that's what you were doing. You were talking to just a lot of different people to get, you know, their opinions. And you didn't, you know, you weren't trying to prove them wrong. You weren't trying to belittle them. It was just listening, letting them tell their piece. And um, yeah, I, I thought that was intriguing. Yeah, that's the that's the ultimate goal of our movies. How did you um, choose the, the 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 people that you spoke with? Um, well, some of them. This this is a return to a topic we'd already covered in 2016. So some of these people we'd interviewed in 2016 for for the Beast of Whitehall, um, and then others are are people who I've wanted to talk to for a while who I was familiar with. Um, I knew I wanted to interview Bruce Hallenbeck because of his uh, connection to the to the Kinderhook creature case from the 70s and 80s. Um, and then there were people like Emily uh, Fleur, who I know through through her podcast, who who I thought was such an interesting voice because she's so friggin' passionate about Bigfoot, and she kind of I don't know, she's kind of a counter to some of the crotchety old men that we. <laughs> we mm. interview in these movies and she's so excited and wide-eyed about the topic um you know and then some of them just fell into our laps like, like we interviewed a witness in whitehall who, who claimed he saw a bigfoot cross the road in front of him and that was just someone that came to us uh at, when we were there and so oh, the, the sighting from last year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so, so some of those just fall into your lap during the filming of the series but um you know i've been doing this now for i've been making movies for six years but i've been interested in bigfoot for probably 15 16 years something like that so some of these names are people that i've i've known for a little while and was able to just reach out to them and ask them to be involved in it right right yeah i i did like the fact that you had emily in there because i don't know like this isn't something I've ever really taken a deep dive into, but whenever it's kind of come up, it's always been intriguing. But from the, the little bit that I've just been exposed to, it usually is guys, right? It's usually guys telling these stories and being like, oh, well, we were on the porch and drinking and we saw this thing or we went and did a thing and we thought we saw this thing. And so I, I thought, to have this um, young lady talk, I thought that, as you said, it's like that, that counterpoint and it kind of shows that, yeah, this isn't just one type of person. They're no, like, yeah. This intrigue intrigues everyone. Yeah, I think too, again, this is like one of those issues with television where television really only seems to latch on to like one type of person and and the fact is like especially with the paranormal in general um especially ufology the the people that are into this run the gamut of lifestyle uh race uh sexual orientation age all this stuff like they're kind of like it's a little bit of everybody and mm. and bigfoot uh especially these days uh, there's a younger crowd that are into Bigfoot who just haven't been seen on TV, so nobody has any idea that they're into it. But, but you know, like having been involved in the community for a while, I knew Emily through that. There's a lot of people like Emily uh, who who have an interest in this topic. Emily was perfect for this because she's in that area too. And also she has a connection to the Whitehall story because she was really into the 
to uh to that case she had a, had a big fascination with that whitehall bigfoot case um but there are there's definitely a much larger uh a, a much broader range of people that are into these topics than than what you know television would have you believe yeah oh yeah for real yeah it's, it's a weird that that that's what we get drip fed you know that only a certain type of people like this and a certain type like that and oh this gender is the only ones that like this it's kind of it's weird because once you actually get out in it you see the truth and yeah. the truth is shit intrigues everyone <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like um you know when you think of the areas you want to visit right do you ever take um I, was, I don't know if you can get this sort of information but is there records of um maybe dwindling numbers of like if there's deer in the area suddenly you know deer numbers go down for an unexplained reason or there's not as many fish in an area or is there a way of looking at kind of stuff like that which might possibly tell you there's something in the region? You know, I've heard stories like that for sure. Um, even most recently, one of the things that we came upon while we were making our next Bigfoot movie out in the Olympic Peninsula was that the Olympic Peninsula is in terms of like number, sheer number of Bigfoot reports, it's one of the most active areas in the country. And one of the weird things about the Olympic Peninsula is it's, it's at the top of Washington, right? It's, it's sort of like the tip top of the state of Washington on the West Coast. It should be prime grizzly bear territory because they're all over the Pacific Northwest. They're in Northern California. You could drive two hours to the South into Oregon and there's grizzly bear everywhere. But up in the Olympic Peninsula, there are no grizzly bear. And there's no way to account for that. It's still like vexes scientists. They can't figure out why that is. And the only thing that really will push a grizzly out of an area is that they have a competing predatory animal. Mm. So something competing for the food source locally. So I thought that was kind of interesting because it leads you to theorize, well, maybe there's so many Bigfoot in the area that they're competing. They're just sick of competing with them for the food. Um, but you have no, I mean, you're just theorizing and it's fun to theorize, but, but there's no way to tell as far as you could definitely look into dwindling deer population, but you're also going to have the issue of that could be, you know, disease that could be traffic. It could be any number of things that, that would account for that. Um, but, but those kind of like patterns are, are something that we're starting to look more actively into with each movie. Cause I think going forward, we, we're trying to pick projects where we might be able to put ourselves in a situation where maybe we could have some sort of encounter, you know, if something's there. So it's definitely something we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is something that I kind of thought about, right? Because the way humans are, like, we're not the greatest people, because you can guarantee if, if, if you, you, at the end of your dock, you're like, and here, is Bigfoot. Someone is going to go to that spot trying to kill Bigfoot. Someone will want Bigfoot on their wall. So do you ever wonder about that, that if we found Bigfoot, that might be the end of Bigfoot? Yeah, that's all, That's always been, we, we, we actually just had a whole conversation about this recently. Um, 
that's always a fear. My thing with that though is we've spent hundreds of years trying to find these things just because one just because see we find one is real doesn't suddenly mean that they're any easier to find yeah like I, I, I think no matter what they would still be incredibly difficult to find they're still going to be incredibly difficult to locate um and so so i think i think that i don't, I don't know that that would be an issue just because you know i just because there's an additional 50 percent of the idiots in the world running around the woods now with guns and beer looking for Bigfoot doesn't mean that they're actually going to find one. Yeah, I mean, true. Very true. I mean, what if Bigfoot, and look, this, this is, you know, a hypothetical that is 99.9% .9 never going to happen. But what if you did stumble on Bigfoot and Bigfoot, can talk can well can communicate with you and bigfoot is like hey we can have a conversation but i don't want it taped right so you can't tape it we can talk and that's it yeah. are you doing that conversation no oh, yeah. you can't there's no proof of it that you can put out into the world right yeah well first of all i would i would probably do it anyway I'd find, <laughs> I'd find some way to hide it um, and yeah but either way yeah if, if i if i could definitively know for myself that bigfoot exists and no one else could i i would i would definitely want to know yeah yeah i think i'd take that too uh, <laughs> because at least i know at least i've got that the yeah no this shit is this is real yeah right? and he might tell us tell you why he's not coming out or or something it would just be intriguing as hell right <laughs> so is is there like um are you open on everything you know, whether it be like, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, demons, just all of that kind of stuff. Um, or is there some stuff that you're just like, mm, probably not? Well, I'll go, I mean, I'll go wherever the the evidence or the the preponderance of, of evidence takes me. Um, and, you know, I've seen enough evidence of Bigfoot that I, I think that there's something to it and there's something that merits, you know, it merits looking into. Um, ghosts, I've, we, we were doing a ghost series, like an on the trail of ghost series, but it's, we have yet to encounter anything while making this series that would make me think that ghosts are real. Um, UFOs are real. Like, I don't even know how, you know, like the, when when the government is pretty much acknowledging that ufos are real we know that ufos are real now whether or not ufos are aliens i have no idea but um yeah i mean i'll pretty much look into any subject because what drives me isn't necessarily proof that any of this is real it's the stories so i'm, I'm interested in stories and storytelling and how stories evolve over time and how stories become myth and myth becomes you know legend and, and that kind of thing I'm, I'm interested in the evolution of story and that's what I think I'm at the end of the day, that's what I'm continually coming back to. So there's, there's probably no weird topic that I wouldn't look into. <laughs> 
and with, with those topics right so what is it do you if you hear something right you you hear some sort of myth legend someone telling a story that you think that sounds intriguing do you then you, you know you take that deep dive to try and see if you can find more information is it is it that the thing that gets you or is it like someone who you trust coming to you with something or what well, what's the thing that kind of starts to starts the journey for you um that's a, that's a cool question yeah i think it depends on the type of project so like we make you know we make these movies that are basically just retelling of retellings of legends and we've made we've made them about like the mothman and point pleasant and the flatwoods monster and those kind of movies those movies are driven more by like cinema like mm. the, the cinematic styling of the movie what you know like the one we're working on right now has like all the recreations are being filmed to look like found footage so um ever those, those are a blast to make because they allow us to to experiment with style and things like that and the way those begin is i'll pick a topic that appeals to me at the time and then we kind of get to filling pieces of what the style of the movie is going to be and that's kind of how those come to be on the trail of is informed more by the witness stories um where witnesses are you know like if we can get enough witnesses to come forward to talk about it and that's what tends to drive whether or not we're we're making that movie but you know for 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 the longest time i mean for four years the first four years we were around we only made the legend type of movies and and you know the way we keep that fun is experimenting with style and uh the way we we actually make the movies and that's what keeps me coming back to those is always challenging us creatively. Uh, no, that's cool. That's cool. So we might see a uh, on the trail of skinwalkers or, or something like that, maybe in the future down the line. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say that's a, a inevitability that's going to happen. Oh, man, that that see that all of that is interesting, but it's creepy as hell. <laughs> whenever i hear those stories you're just like oh my gosh and then you're just like oh damn <laughs> yeah that's a, a a weird topic we were just i was just asked recently like what the scariest monster is that we've looked into and i always go back to the skinwalker and skinwalker legends that's the creepiest stuff there is yeah yeah, yeah. no definitely definitely cool man so um yeah you, you you know this drops tomorrow right so um what yeah mid midnight tonight yeah what so what's usually the thing so you you know you, you work on these things right they go out then is it straight onto the next one or do you do a lot of you know on the road promoting this or, oh like, no yeah no no we're already i'm as I got on the call with you. I was hitting save on Premiere because I'm in the middle of editing Rougarou. And immediately after that, I'll be editing um, on the trail of Bigfoot the Discovery. And before Rougarou, I was editing on the trail of UFOs Dark Sky. So actually, it's been three months since I touched on the trail of Bigfoot the Journey, maybe four months now. Um, so there, there's not only like it's not only on to the next one, but it's like on to the next one, two, two projects past the movie you're watching. It's like how we, we tend to be. So we've got four in the can right now. We just got back from Chicago filming another one. 
uh, last weekend. So we're always working on something. And they, you know, I, the one thing I can say about us uh, is that we don't like to retread the same ground in terms of style and tone. So yeah. we try to, we try to, even though we're obviously covering Bigfoot multiple times in these movies, we always try to switch up what we're doing with them. And, you know, we made a movie named Momo, called Momo, the Missouri monster a couple of years ago that was done entirely in like this faux drive-in movie theater style. And um, we're always trying to keep it interesting, not just for the audience, but for ourselves as well, because we're always working on so many projects in any given year. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. And if a large, you know, company distributor came to you, like a Prime, a Netflix, a Disney, you know, someone like that, would you make them for them? Or is this something that you just want 100% like control over? Uh, I mean, I, I think it would depend on the way the deal was going to work, honestly, because like I, I do love being independent. And um, if some huge corporation came, we've, we've had TV production meetings with, with you know, uh, production houses and it never went very well. And, um, you know, I'm friends with, with guys that work in Hollywood. I'm friends with Adam Wingard. I was with Adam when he was making, doing pre-production on Godzilla versus Kong. And, um, I've seen that process and it's not really something I want to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and so like, for me, it's, I love controlling what we do and getting to sort of steer the ship. That isn't to say I wouldn't be interested in making movies for another, you know, for a big company, but it would have to be something where we were kind of doing it off on our own. And what are, what are the odds that would happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is a, that is a tricky one to maintain that control and um, still do what you do. But uh, yeah, I mean, what you're doing is working right now. So, um, you know, all power to you, man, to get to keeping this moving and keep on putting out these interesting documentaries. Thanks, man. Oh, no worries, man. I appreciate you, uh, you know, dropping by, giving us. Yeah, thanks time. for having me. No, no, it's, it's, it's been great. And hey, when, uh, you know, you're about to put out one of these new pieces, love for you to come back and, um, you know, we can shoot the breeze and uh, discuss what craziness you've done next. Sure, I'll, I'll send you uh, any, any number of projects we're working on as soon as they finish. Outstanding, man. That would be, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. But, um, yo, protect yourself when you go out to these places man because all i could think about when you're hiking through the forest be like god damn what if there's something around that corner <laughs> yeah. oh that's part of the fun <laughs> um yeah i guess so <laughs> you know i need the real life robert landon all right yeah. Steve, thank you so much for your time. And I, I hope that, uh, yeah, you know, people just keep on funding these things because I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. Cool. Thanks, man. All right, man. You take it easy. Yeah. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Okay, people, so yes, we are done. That is it. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it, people. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, our first Monster Hunter conversation. <laughs> um, so, yes, no, it, it, it's out Tuesday the 8th of June. So, tomorrow, um, you can get it from all your favorite um, platforms, right? So, iTunes, Amazon Prime, Voodoo. Fandagogo now You know what I mean 109 1091 pictures People Wherever you get your pics You can get it So go look it out It's a great one See you on Thursday